Welcome. I am Tom Logry, Executive Editor of Advent Christian Voices, and this is The Interview, the podcast dedicated to bringing to you the leading voices in the Advent Christian denomination. And today we're going to be talking with Matt Larkin. Matt Larkin is the coordinator of leadership development for the Advent Christian General Conference. And I think you'll enjoy quite a bit um, our conversation and what he has to share about his ministry and uh, what he sees for the future of our denomination. So welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thank you, Tom. It's great to uh, have this opportunity. I want to thank you for that. Uh, never really uh, thought of myself necessarily as a leading voice, but I'll try to do the best I can to uh, own a, or to live up to that if I can. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I think with the ministry of Advent Christian Voices, this is we're trying to give people a stage in which to share their voice. And so we're really interested in you sharing your voice, especially given your position and the work that you're doing in the denomination. Great. So before we get too far along, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Matt Larkin? Where are you from? How did you end up in this weird denomination? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I, I grew up in Auburn, Maine, a uh, small town, maybe 40 miles north of, of Portland, which is probably about the only city most of the United States has heard of in Maine. Uh, and I grew up in the Auburn Advent Christian Church. And uh, uh, that was kind of my entrance point into this, this crazy denomination. Actually, I'm, I guess, a fourth generation Advent Christian. Uh, but uh, I'm the first generation to, uh, to take on any type of uh, responsibility as clergy or anything like that. Uh, my my uh, father, grandfather, great-grandfather were all businessmen, and uh, so I'm just kind of, uh, I, I found a different path, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, and that's, that's interesting um, how you can have someone first start out that ministry branch in a family, and then from there you have more and more that end up going into um, ministry. And we see that certainly in our, in our denomination. So how, how specifically, what, what led, so you start, so you went into pastoral ministry. How do you, how, how do you end up at ACGC? <laughs> Most of us go into pastoral ministry and we don't get anywhere close to ACGC. Yeah, it's interesting. I even backed my way into pastoral ministry. In some ways, it wasn't my plan. Um, I, I actually started college as a music education major and kind of found my way into ministry through the back door, um, serving first as a part-time youth director and then beginning to train uh, in Bible college and in, in uh, online training and then then seminary. And um, it was interesting. My my transition from pastoral ministry into Advent Christian General Conference was a lot. Un unexpected, I guess. Um, I was pastoring a church in the Charlotte area, um, and uh, so I was pretty close to headquarters. I was I was connected with a lot of what was going on there. My wife worked as an administrative assistant in the missions department, and then in nurture um, with Sam Warren. And then, you know, through I think through relationships and just uh, try maybe connecting with with maybe what I was doing at Longs Grove and and how the Lord was working there um, as 
a role opened up in the nurture department. I guess um, the nurture director at that time, Sam Warren, decided I'd be a good fit. That may have been a decision he'd later regret. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but ultimately, he, uh, he uh, thought I'd be a good fit to come in and work in his department, which kind of plunged me into the, the student and family ministries world initially, which is kind of where my background mostly was. I was a youth pastor longer than I was a lead pastor. So I kind of had an opportunity to use those gifts and background uh, first in, in my first role at ACGC. Mm. So, yeah, and that's how I met you. You were, when I first met you, you were serving in that capacity as director of student and family ministries. And uh, yep. so how, how do you make that, that transition from serving in that role, which I imagine looks a little bit different from what you're doing now as coordinator of leadership development. Yeah, that was a, that was another unique transition. Um, three years ago, uh, it was, it was three years ago this month, actually, we, we began to sit down after the last triennial session. Uh, we sat down to, to begin to map out what we thought our future needed to look like at the office and uh, begin to look at, at really the denomination's needs a little more intentionally and, and, and just trying to figure out how we could best serve those needs efficiently, effectively utilizing the limited resources we have. And, and out of that birth, the current strategic plan um, which uh, was launched at the beginning of 2018. And, and that led to kind of a reshuffling of our efforts. Um, and actually, this student and family ministry department was significantly diminished at that time. Um, and uh, this new department of leadership development emerged to begin to work with uh, those who would be training to become pastors, church planners, missionaries, those emerging leaders um, that our denomination so desperately needs. And I felt, I feel like that's another one of those times where I kind of backdoored my way into a role where, where I was, I was serving there. My role was, uh, was disappearing. Um, There's a degree to which I kind of pivoted by default because I was the loudest voice in the room um, (laughs) for, for the leadership development department um, when we were, when we were doing, doing our planning and, but it, it, it's funny, I, I didn't ever really envision that necessarily being a permanent fixture. I figured, well, I'll, I'll, I'll fill this to start, you know, to, while they figure out what they want to do with this. And I'll, I'll try not to do too much damage before I hand things over to whoever my replacement is. And, and um, you know, three years later, here we are. So it, it, I kind of, I even took on the role, not necessarily expecting it to be a long-term thing, not feeling like I had any particular vision for it. Uh, but ultimately seeing that that's where the Lord has, has had me these last few years. Yeah. 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 It's kind of interesting because you're, I mean, you're the first, you're the first coordinator of of leadership development. So um, I guess seeing as you kind of had a hand in shaping that department, what, what is, I mean, there's a certain extent to which, you know, leadership development, well, that seems kind of obvious what your department's about, but really what's the extent of what you're trying to do? Who, what kind of leaders are you trying to develop? Um, yeah, just share, share with us a little bit about that. It's inter- yeah, it's interesting. Again, we, we started with a pretty basic plan. Um, again, when we launched the strategic plan, it was started with, with kind of three kind of goals, I guess, to get started. Um, we were looking to kind of grow our communication with, with potential pastors, those who are already in Bible college and seminary. 
Um, we were looking to kind of build a unified approach to cultivating those relationships and better connecting our churches with, with those potential pastors, church planners, and missionaries out there. Um, we were looking to build better relationships with, with multiple colleges and seminaries. And then there was this, this kind of side piece that, that was, I always kind of envisioned as a sidecar, but has really taken um, more, center, more of a center stage role in the department. And that's the development of a program that would help in the development of pastors, church planners, and missionaries, and something that would allow for, for candidates to be trained in traditional and non-traditional means. And that's all that was really said of, of the department at the front end. And from there, I was able to really kind of be creative in regards to what that would look like. And, and again, you know, early on, I started out with not any significant idea of what that was going to look like. Um, I started off just kind of thinking, all right, well, I'll, I'll begin to explore some options for how we could develop out new leaders. That's really the focus. Our, our denominations kind of in the whole when it comes to leadership development, especially in the pastoral end, um, if seven out, approximately seven out of 10 pastors are, are now l less than a decade uh, from retirement. And uh, it's, we're, we're kind of behind the eight ball in developing kind of that next generation of pastors. So my department was was formed with the idea of, well, let's figure out how we can help in that process. Um, from there, it was just a matter of, well, let's explore some ways where that could happen. Let's talk to people. Let's, let's look at some programs that are already out there. Let's look at the options that are there in the college and seminary world. Let's look at some of the programs that our denominations already utilizing like Antioch school. Let's look at everything and, and just try to figure out how we fit into this mix. And, that's really the extent of what my early thinking was. Um, and, and out of that is kind of formed a, a few things, uh, but, uh, but not necessarily what I expected. So uh, you, you, you mentioned how we're kind of in the hole when it comes to leadership development. Um, how, did, how did we get to this place where we don't have enough pastors and leaders for our ministries? That's, a, I think, a complex question to answer. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily uh, because we desired to be in this place. I don't think it's because we intentionally woke up and said, well, we're going to stop developing leaders. Um, I think for years, um, I think we were almost spoiled. We had a pretty pretty standard educational approach for how we were going to develop out pastors for a long time, starting with New England School of Theology and then eventually Aurora College and and Berkshire Christian College emerging um, as, as probably the almost like pastoral factories for us where churches would send them their kids and their kids would come back pastors. And that was really kind of the approach for a number of years. And uh, like I said, I think we were almost spoiled by that to the place where as those, as those schools kind of dwindled down and, and eventually um, Aurora no longer trains pastors, though they do exist as, as a secular college, um, Berkshire ceased campus operations. Um, in the midst of all of that, when, as they wound down, I think one, it, it kind of blindsided everybody. I don't think anybody really knew what to do with that. And two, uh, you know, we didn't necessarily have an established culture within the local church anymore, um, surrounding developing new leaders, especially pastoral leaders. Um, partially because again, the, the, the strategy was really, let's send them out and let's, let's, uh, let's let this, these schools do it. And then they'll, they'll come back to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of gets me thinking, you know, is, which is the fundamental problem? Is it that we don't have a, we didn't, up to this point, we haven't really had a place to send 
emerging leaders or is it that there wasn't enough emerging leaders to keep these schools going? I mean, how, how do you parse that? <laughs> yeah, it feels kind of chicken and the eggish. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know kind of what fell first. Obviously, attendance at, at, at Berkshire certainly dwindled. Um, I know much less about our, the history at Aurora other than just, you know, they, they pivoted in a different direction over time. And, um, but Berkshire, stu- the student population certainly dwindled. Um, so there's, there's probably a piece of that that, that that led to the closure of Berkshire. But, but it feels as though there's probably, there's probably something else that, that led to that as well, as if there's a culture of, of sending maybe that was lost. Uh, I know that uh, many of our churches don't have the youth groups and the children's ministries that maybe they once did. And that may have st- even been the case 30 years ago, but it wasn't none and it's still not none. So somewhere along the way, you know, there's, there's a sending culture that it seems like maybe not across the board. This is not a universal truth, <laughs> but in, in many churches that sending culture was just kind of lost along the way. So, that, so putting that fundamental problem aside in terms of <laughs> the church culture and, uh, you know, failing to really send out our youth, um, why, why do we need a program of our own? I mean, there's all kinds of colleges out there. There's seminaries out there. I'm a, I'm a graduate of Toccoa Falls College Christian Missionary Alliance School, Um why, why do you think it's necessary for us to have the ministry training institute? Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting question too. I, I think we've, we've done well in sending a lot of pastors out. You're a graduate of Tacoa. I'm a graduate of Trinity and Liberty and, and, uh, of, uh, and I'm working on a doctorate with, with Bethel seminary in Minnesota. Um, so th- we've, we certainly have access to a number of educational resources that can be extremely beneficial uh, to us as a denomination. I, I don't know that there's a need for us to have a place of our own to send students to uh, so much as, as we need a way where our, our churches can, can be participants in the process of developing leaders. Um, whether, it's, um, whether it needs to be something that's distinctly, distinctively Advent Christian is probably up, up for debate. Um, and I, I think it's beneficial to our, our denominational identity if we have something that's distinctively Advent Christian. But, but whether or not that's the case, that's like I said, I think that's open for debate. But I do believe we need some sort of resource um, that can be a catalyst to the church's participation in developing leaders. I think we run the risk, if, especially you know, if this were the case with Berkshire and with Aurora, I think sending students to other denominational schools or even non-denominational schools, we run an even greater risk of that disconnection and, and almost sending them to the factory. And what's happened in many cases, we don't get them back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so um, rather than they go to Berkshire and they come back, they, they go to wherever and they don't necessarily come back. Some do, some don't. Um, but I, I think I think the bigger picture than that is we need a place we need something that can can be a catalyst to church participation in this process. So, why do you think that's important? Why is the participation of the church important? Well, I think we're called to do that. First of all, I think I think leadership development is often divorced from this, but it's part of discipleship. 
Um, and that really discipleship is, is the responsibility of the local church. Um, the, I think the development of leaders is kind of that next level in the discipleship process. As people become mature believers, you know, many continue to grow and they grow as, as in different types of leadership, whether assuming the role of deacon or elder or, you know, pastor, missionary, uh, various roles that, that, that some of these leaders play. I think it's part of the journey of discipleship, part of the journey of Christian growth. And ultimately, where I think there are tools out there that can be extremely helpful, and I think universities, seminaries can be tools in that process, ultimately, I think the responsibility comes back to the local church to be developing leaders as part of that journey of discipleship. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioning discipleship because it makes me think of Berkshire Institute for Christian Studies, because I know that kind of what's central to their mission is the discipleship of young college age students for that concentrated year. Mm-hmm. We're in the strata of having Christian education. Where is the MTI placed among those? You know, you've got Bix, you've got Berkshire, we have MTI. What is MTI's place, and I guess what is MTI? What is what is the program? Um, what does it look like? Sure, and there's there's a lot of people asking that question. I think at this point we're we're new. It's we're different. Um, it, it it could feel like a redundancy, uh, depending on your perspective. I think, but but when you when you look at MTI, um, we play I think a different role in this process than a Bix or and interestingly enough, we're partnering with Berkshire. So um, where we're where we're not, um, I don't think we're necessarily adding on so much as working with Berkshire to kind of enhance the mission of Berkshire in that case. So we're not look, looking to replace any of the existing options, but I believe we we bring kind of another flavor to the table. We're, we're trying to work to, I think, bring together the collaborative gifts that we have in our denomination to train up emerging leaders. Um, and not necessarily those, we're not necessarily targeting those, those students who are, you know, 18 to 22, you know, ready to launch out of high school into college. We're, we're more targeting those people who, who maybe, you know, they're looking at a second career or they're looking at, at you know, they may be a, a teacher or a plumber or, or something. And they're looking at, at bivocational ministry as, as something that's really, an option. A lot of our churches need that. Um, we're looking to provide kind of an affordable way forward for, for them to get solid theological training, to be mentored, and to be, um, to, to be able to gain some skills uh, in ministry um, without, in an affordable way, in a way where they're not going to have to leave their local church, in a way that, um, that will allow them uh, to be able to go out and serve without inheriting debt that that at that point in their lives, they may not be able to take on, um, which is often what comes with the cost of seminary. So we're kind of an alternative option in that regard. Um, But I think given where we are as a denomination, I think it's a needed option. Um, A lot of our churches are, are smaller. uh, They have smaller budgets. Um, You know, as well as um, how much, how much seminary costs to go uh, to go and, you know, you do four years of college, two, three years of seminary, and then you turn around and you're looking at, at trying to work in a church for $20,000 a year. Yet you've got plenty of school debt that you've got to dig yourself out of. That's a, that's a hard place to be in because um, there isn't a ton of, of uh, there's not a ton of scholarship out there in our denomination. So it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to be able to balance that out. Churches can't nece- our churches can't necessarily afford to pay 
pay people who, uh, um, who need the kind of money to pay off that kind of debt. So I think there's a financial uh, place we play, but I also think, I think more centrally what MTI is, is that effort to bring together the co- collaborative strengths of all of our churches. Um, our hope is to involve um, really as much of the denomination as we can in this process, whether it be through course design or through, through uh, you know, pastors and leaders who may be able to serve as instructors, as mentors in the process. Um, people have so many different gifts that, c- that can be and should be brought to the table in developing leaders. And we're looking to figure out a way that this program can be a resource so that they can utilize those gifts to train up the next generation of leaders. Um, which may not look exactly like we think. It may not be those 25-year-olds coming out of seminary as much as maybe those 30-somethings. Um, our oldest MTI student right now is, I believe, just retired uh, and uh, looking at, at, at pastoring in his retirement. So there's, there's those kind of stories as well. His, his story was just featured in the, in the uh, e-news uh, for, for ACGC. And mm-hmm. so... You know, we're looking to try to provide that that avenue forward in a way that's affordable and again utilizes the the many gifts that exist in our denomination. Yeah, yeah, and I'm certain I certainly am personally acquainted with the costs of uh, <laughs> traditional education. Um, so, brass tacks, how much does the MTI cost? What does the program look like? Is this just a one-year deal? Are you there for many years or? <laughs> yeah. So there's two tracks um, with MTI. Um, I'll start with the, the the shorter one. That'll sound more attainable to people, I think, in some ways. Uh, that's a two-year program, or at least it's designed to be offered in as little as two years. I suppose you could draw it out if you desire to. Um, uh, two years and the total program cost is $2,100. That's called our ministry endorsement. And that's really designed to be up a way to ground those who might be in traditional, what might be traditionally called lay leadership roles more deeply in theology and scripture and to get them mentoring and hands-on training uh, in a way that, that, that again, they can do it right in their church. They can do it alongside others in their church um, and alongside others from other churches as well. And um, that, that, that's a 30 credit hour program on kind of an undergraduate graduate level. Um, and uh, again, it costs $2,100. The leadership and ministry certificate, which is kind of the, the original MTI design was built around this, is a 60-credit program. And it co- combines those elements that I talked about, the coursework, mentoring, um, hands-on ministry experience. Um, included, included in this are different seminars um, and opportunities for independent study. Uh, in your field of interest. And uh, also uh, the, the program ends with kind of a capstone project, which is a, a binder that's designed to, to give students the opportunity to, uh, to, really, um, to, to really put all of their work and all of their research and everything they've done through MTI into one spot so they can have the beginnings of kind of a, a biblical library to help them get started in ministry. So all of these resources are kind of uh, put together uh, for the 60 credit program. And, um, and the, the total program cost for that is $4,200. Um, I'd say that in both cases, there are scholarships available already, but offered by different conferences, regional associations. Um, Berkshire itself uh, has, has freed up some scholarship dollars for this. Um, and uh, so there's, there's a lot of uh, resource available even to make it more affordable than even those $2,100 and $4,200 costs um, that we're talking about. 
Uh, I would say the 30 credit hour, again, is probably for volunteer leaders, primarily those who would be in those kinds of, of roles. And the 60 credit hour is designed for those more senior leadership roles, those who'd be going into pastoral ministry, church planting, uh, missionary service, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and as I understand it, so the MTI, you, you know, you talk about church participation, the MTI actually works, works through local churches. Mm-hmm. Explain that a little, a little bit more, that, that relationship and uh, I guess where the, where those, those places are. And <laughs> sure. Well, um, MTI at present, we've grounded it in what we're calling a field office model. And the field office is really just um, a central location, ideally centered in the midst of a cluster of Advent Christian churches, at least where a number of Advent Christian churches are within range um, where, where, the, our local field directors uh, can work together with multiple pastors and multiple church leaders to help to put on this program. Uh, the goal is not for the field director to run the program in each local site, but for the field director, well, I guess they're running it, but their, their goal is not to teach the, all the classes and do all the mentoring and everything else. The role of the field director is really to be kind of a, an area coordinator to bring everybody together to this kind of hub location and 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 utilize uh, the gifts of the many leaders who could be involved with this program, uh, whether pastors or or other other church leaders serving in, in those roles of instructor, mentor. Um, the churches themselves are acting as as the grounds for uh, for ministry for the hands-on ministry training uh, to take place. Um, I think I may have forgotten the question. And oh, so, so where where's some locations? I guess how how do people get into this? <laughs> how do people get into this? At present, um, we have uh, we have MTI is actively operating in two sites in North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina, in the Raleigh area, and uh, in Massachusetts, in Central Mass near Worcester, Oxford Mass, and uh, as of as of January of next year, so January twenty twenty one. Uh, we'll be launching MTI locations here in, in where I'm located in, in the Bangor main area um, in the Midwest in and around the Chicago area. And, uh, and we'll be looking at opening within the Piedmont conference uh, so somewhere in kind of Western North Carolina as well. Um, we're looking at this point also to try to establish a site in California um, right now. And uh, we're also, and you know, for those of you who may be in Asia, we're, <laughs> we're, we're launching an Asian cohort as well, based out of the Mati uh, orphanage ministry in the Philippines. So we've got a lot going on there. Um, we're, we're beginning to have some conversations with some other potential sites. And um, the first step really to getting this going in your area is, is really contacting me or my office or, or one of the field directors that works with me. Uh, all of our information can be found on the ACGC website. Um, and we can begin to have a conversation about what it would look like to put a field office nearby you and, uh, and begin to offer this program locally. Um, we're hoping to be able to, to offer this in uh, at least a couple of spots in each region uh, all around the denomination. So with, with the field offices, you talked about how, you know, these directors, they're just kind of coordinating things. So where do you, how do you get your teachers? Do you select them? Do people say, Hey, like I'm willing to teach if you want me <laughs> to, to teach. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how do you get people for the teaching? We, 
we have had some people volunteer and if you haven't if you volunteered and haven't been asked to teach yet that's not because we that's not necessarily because we don't want you uh, but really it, it could be um, but more but very often what we what we really try to do is is we we try to connect people with with what the program is about kind of our philosophy of education um, and 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 the resources so they can learn how to instruct within within our model um, before we identify them as uh, to instruct one of the classes. So, you know, as we are, our field directors will often have people in mind who they think might be a good fit, might easily kind of be able to work into that. Uh, other people may present themselves and we can begin to explore that with them. Um, we don't necessarily have a set path of application put in place yet. Um, as we're still very new, we're still kind of working out a lot of those, those pieces, but, but, um, what we really try to do is again try to try to make sure make sure in our minds we feel like they're one qualified to facilitate a course within the subject area that they would like to be facilitating in and then two that they they go through the proper training to understand the educational model we're working from so what, what is that educational model kind of like the philosophy philosophy we're really trying to we really tried to create mti as kind of an, a holistic approach to training uh training up church leaders uh we've really we've tried to combine a mix of methodologies i think in the classroom um so there's there isn't necessarily a, a set model in in each course in terms of how courses are instructed and in regard in regards to um uh, how discussions are handled in regards to how lectures are handled and that sort of thing. Um, but there, there are some core principles that, that are, that are developed into the training model. Um, in addition, we've, we've really, uh, we've really emphasized the, the mentoring is another core component of, of, of touching base with students along the way. Um, in addition to participating in, in a combination of online learning, asynchronous learning, and uh, local cohort gatherings where they'll, where, they'll, where they'll participate in synchronous discussion with the course facilitator and with their fellow students, um, we, we really try to connect, uh, connect each student with a mentor um, who's another, another, another party who can kind of keep them on track with how how what they're learning in each course connects with real world ministry. So as they're walking through a, a theology class, it's not just, okay, well, I've got this knowledge about, you know, the atonement. It's, well, what, is, what does the atonement mean in the life of the local church? And, and th there's material built into each course to that effect. There's the desire, our desires for that to, those kind of discussions to be existing in the mentoring relationship so that ultimately as the student is operating within their local church, um, so that they're um, they're uh, while they're serving as a deacon, while they're serving as a Sunday school teacher, serving as a youth leader, they're able to process how a subject like the atonement lives in in their in their ministry context, and uh, mm -hmm. you know how that plays out. How how do why is that subject important? Um, how does how does teaching this look like in in my context? How how does how does the atonement affect the way I'm living as a leader? Um, it's, there's all those elements. We're we're trying to attack the student um, uh, with not just cognitive learning, but uh, behavioral and affective as well. Yeah. So I guess I'm wondering, you know, through your the model and the philosophy that you're utilizing, 
in the MTI. Is there an implicit criticism there of the traditional model of education? I don't think so. Um, I, I think I, I'm, 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 uh, actually, I, I would celebrate the traditional model of education in many ways. There's a lot of benefit to it. And I, I feel like I've benefited, benefited from it. But what I think is, is that, and this is where I, my earlier comments about the local church's needed involvement come into play. I don't think that, that colleges, the traditional colleges set up to be a house of discipleship in the same way the local church is. Mm -hmm. um, they can they can mimic the local church in many ways, and, and I think there's a lot of great learning that can take place in, in the traditional college setting. But I think there are, are certain roles that the local church is to play, and, and I think um, it's, it's really up to us to, to bridge the gap for the students from, from, from the bubble that often is a college campus to what this actually looks like in a local church setting and what this actually looks like in the real world. Um, I think colleges try to remedy this um, through apprenticeships, through mentor, through um, through internships, and that sort of thing. But I think with with more intentionality on our part, we can uh, we can help to foster a more cohesive uh, mode of thinking among students. Um, and I think that's where MTI is designed from. And I but I think that can be done also um, through more intentionality in the part of the local church and maybe on the part of the denomination in working with active college students, uh, giving them places to be able to connect. So I don't, I'm not looking for MTI necessarily to replace traditional college, traditional seminary, but I'm, I'm hoping some of what we're doing can be replicated among colleges and seminary students as well, so that they have those places where they can figure these things out and they have, they're, they're being intentionally mentored and help, being helped to think through uh, what they're learning in the classroom and how it plays out uh, in that local church setting. Mm. So it, with, I get maybe this speaks specifically to your role. I'm not sure you could answer this about the local directors. For those that are going a traditional route, um, do you work with students? Like, so a student goes to TFC, let's suppose you were, well, I guess nationally, you're the coordinator. So um, would you work work with them if they're going to follow the traditional model rather than going through the MTI program as such? Absolutely. I, I Part of my role is actually to continue to try to connect with college and seminary students and, and uh my desire would be to probably connect them with a member of my team that might be more closely connected to them. Um, if, for instance, if we're talking about Tacoa, we've got Adrian Dixon down in North Carolina. He'd be a better person to try to connect them with and just in terms of proximity. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we'd try to connect with somebody who can, one, foster a relationship with them personally, and two, hopefully get them connected with a, a local church nearby where they can begin to explore again what they're learning, how what they're learning in the classroom connects back to real, real life, real church, and and uh, and uh, be able to help to fill out their discipleship journey as a student. Mm. And um, yeah, we're, we we want to be very intentional in doing that. I'm, I'm not looking to um, leave uh, leave college students out to the pastor. I think MTI is the thing that's getting the most attention right now with our department, and and maybe rightfully so, just because it's probably the most visible thing we're doing. And, and uh, right now in the midst of COVID, you know, colleges are kind of diving under the, you know, students are kind of in a bubble, it's harder to connect with them. Um, but, you know, it's still our intention to, to maintain as strong a connection as we can with students for that purpose. 
Yeah. Do you do you feel like in the midst of a pandemic like this that your model has a certain advantage or <laughs> <laughs> I think it does for a lot of reasons. First of all, we're you know, we we we're designed to operate within kind of a, almost a small group kind of setting. Mm-hmm. Cohorts aren't designed to be really large groups. We're really trying to keep them, you know, 5 to 8 students and you know, if it gets much bigger than that, you know, gets 15, 20 students, we'll be talking about having multiple cohorts at a location. Uh, rather than trying to grow them too big. Um, so we, there's the there's the ability to social distance in our model to a degree, even while still being incarnational and connected, you know, in that setting. Um, you have the advantage of not having to operate with the same restrictions that colleges and seminaries operate with. We're not uh, we're not operating on that scale, so we're not having to uh, we're not having to operate like a college. We're not a college. Um, we're we're really a, a, an arm of the local church in a lot of ways. Yeah, Um, yeah, I I thought it was a good point because because you just mentioned that you're not a college and probably, you know, for a lot of us, we kind of assume this, but it's safe to assume that the MPI isn't an accredited program. It's not, you know, we've had some conversations uh, about what that would look like. And I think that's still a long term goal. Um, in the short term, we're we're more actively looking to pursue partnerships with with current with colleges with seminaries that are accredited, so that our credits would be able to uh, uh, would be able to be transferred into those programs. Um, so, so you, you think know, that there's some hope that you know if someone goes into the MTI program that they could link up back with the traditional model? I guess if someone goes to to the MTI, could they maybe potentially get into seminary? Yeah, I think that's that's something we're working to uh, working toward. It's nothing I can definitively speak to, but we have had some promising discussions so far, and um, I, I I believe that's something that that's going to be able to become more of a reality once we're a little more established. Um, I'm trying not to um, hit these colleges that we're speaking to over the head too hard. When when you know I don't want I don't want to put them in a position where they have to take a chance on a relatively unproven model, which we are. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're brand new on the block and, and we're trying to uh, kind of establish some credibility as well in that process. But we've had some very good conversations with a couple of our, our institutions that we already partner with. And, and I believe those will, will produce some fruit in the long run. So you, you spoke earlier about your relationship with uh, Berkshire Christian. Is, is, there, is that kind of like an avenue for developing the program and then being able to um, have other opportunities? Should students want to pursue those opportunities? I think it could be. Berkshire's already got some established relationships, um, and I think that that can come into play here. Um, I, I can't, again, I can't speak definitively about it, about what will happen, and I can't, I can't speak specifically to, you know, to any of their partnerships and saying they'll definitively do this for us, but I think the, the established relationships that they have is going to be a benefit to us as we have those discussions, for sure, um, especially because their involvement is so significant in all of this. Now, kind of shifting direction a little bit, but kind of getting back to the philosophy, um, before the MTI was brought together, there was kind of a burgeoning alternative educational model going on throughout the denomination with the Antioch school. Um, does the M- MTI take any inspiration uh, from the Antioch school? Um, is there points of differences between that model and this model? Um, Cause there seems like there's some kind of at least some superficial similarities there because 
then for those that aren't, aren't familiar, the Antioch School is a church-based form of education. Obviously, what Matt has been describing here is a church-based ed, uh, form of education. Absolutely. Um, so could you just speak to that a little bit, the relationship there and um, similarities, differences? Yeah, there's definitely some similarities with the Antioch School. Um, and it would be hard to say that it had no influence <laughs> Uh, because really it's been there and and uh, many of us who are involved with designing MTI were familiar with Antioch schools so there, there's definitely there, it's definitely fair to say there's probably some inspiration that was gleaned uh, from Antioch school I don't think we're looking necessarily at this as, as trying to define it as competition for Antioch school um, even, even in some of the conversations that I've had uh, with some of the leadership of Antioch School uh, in Ames, Iowa, uh, through my roles at ACGC, uh, they've encouraged us to, to utilize them as a resource so that we could further our own models and do something that would, would be beneficial to our organizational culture. Um, while we didn't necessarily, um, necessarily work with them on any of this, nor did we necessarily utilize any of their material on this, in fact, we didn't really at all, um, I, I feel like that's in line with where they were, where they were even trying to help us steer early on in our relationship with them. Um, I, I would say that uh, at, at this stage in the game, um, while there are similarities, I think we really designed MTI um, both in in terms of material, the design of the material as well as the design of the infrastructure, which really tried to design it to be distinctive to our organizational culture and, and the idiosyncrasies of, of, uh, of a, a church network that's spread around the country very sparsely in some places and a little more densely in others. But really, we're not, we're not like a lot of denominations who just are saturated in lots of places. So we, we took that into consideration for an ecclesiology than, than the folks uh, involved with Antioch School. So th that's where most of our churches are, and, and we're trying to speak into that and, and uh, hopefully establish a, a, um, a healthy missional approach that's birthed out of, of, of Advent Christian thinking to a degree. Hmm. So if a student is going through Antioch school, could they work alongside with MTI, kind of like the traditional students, or... Um, how, how do you mean exactly? Like, I guess in the same way where you, so maybe, maybe we need some clarification, I guess, on the way in which you would work with traditional students, but I guess in the same oh, way you might come alongside a traditional student, would you in the same way come alongside someone who's going through the Antioch program? Do you have anything to offer them? Uh, absolutely. We'd be willing to do that. Um, we'd have to probably explore with the student what that could look like in their local setting. Um, Antioch School has a very specific way they go about things um, that isn't necessarily compatible with the MTI program uh, directly. It's not an apples to apples situation, but as far as the work of my department goes, um, we're, we're again um, open to and, and desire to operate in a way that we can connect with students coming from different um, training approaches. And um, With Antioch School, Again, it would be operating within the bounds of their system, helping to under, helping us to understand how best we could be a resource to students uh, because they already have uh, aspects of of apprenticeship built in, and you know the hands-on, the mentoring, all of that's part of the NTR program. Um, there may not be as much need for a connection with us in terms of those those aspects of the training, but we'd still certainly desire to come alongside students, help them in any 
the way that we can. Mm. The so I guess at this point, I think a lot of people might be wondering. So, what should our local churches be doing in order to support leadership development? What can we do, in your opinion, uh, to help uh, MTI and get and be able to get students connected with something like this? I think probably the 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 first step is is the simplest in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think very often there are potential leaders right in our midst that we're not even aware of. Um, people we're not necessarily utilizing. I think it's often because we're, we're trying to work from that traditional paradigm of, well, you know, who are those high school students who are, who are, who are, you know, seem like they're really mature Christians and they're ready to go on to Bible college and they'll come back and pastor, you know, maybe not here, but somewhere. That's kind of how side of leadership development, but if we look at, this is more of a process of developing leaders up, um, you know, from wherever they're at and, and they may not all turn out as pastors. Um, if we look at this as a process for developing leaders, um, you know, maybe a holistic process from, from as part of a discipleship chain, I think some of those leaders will emerge in our midst that, 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 that something like MTI might be extremely beneficial for. Somebody who wants to be a better deacon, who, who needs that deeper theological training, MTI could be a program that could be extremely beneficial for them, I think. Um, if you've got somebody who's really, you know, they're, they're, you may... I'm a really good example of this. I had no interest in becoming a pastor. Um, somebody else saw some gifting in me, uh, another pastor actually, um, David Patterson, who's the pastor of pastors now in the state of Maine. Um, David Patterson saw some gifting in me and, and offered me an opportunity to begin to explore that. Um, it it's, can be as simple as that. And, and MTI can really be a resource in that journey. So I think it starts with identifying those individuals who may be called to something specifically, helping them to explore their gifts and, and what, where that may lead them. Um, and we may be surprised who God's leading to different types of service that we may not have expected in the beginning. It's not the call of God on our lives, certainly is not limited to pastoral ministry, and it's not just limited to certain age demographics. And, and, uh, and uh, the ship has not necessarily sailed because you're you know, past that college age where you might traditionally be formed for your future. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, many people end up uh, taking a different turn in life when they begin asking kind of fundamental questions, you know, where am I going with my life? And uh, which makes me think of your blog. You, for those who aren't aware, uh, Matt has a, a personal blog on having Christian voices called uh, in Latin quo vadimus. Is that how you would? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which, if I'm correct, means where where are we going? Yes. Yep. Yes, so, it does. Yep. So it, it, it seemed appropriate as we're kind of getting towards the end of this interview. Uh, I, I think to ask you, you know, where do you think we're going as a denomination? Uh, especially in terms of developing leaders, bright, dark. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think it's there's a degree to which that book hasn't been written yet, but you know I I, I feel more optimistic now than I did three years ago. Um, I think if nothing else, there seems to be greater awareness that we may have fallen behind. Uh, <laughs> uh, there seems to be some momentum building around 
this task and, and working together to, to maybe fulfill this, this calling that we have <laughs> collectively to raise up the leaders amongst us. And so I think I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's, it's still a big hill we've got to climb here. And, and but I, I've seen the Lord really putting pieces together. I feel like every step of the way as we've been developing out MTI, um, and really since I took this job, the Lord has been putting things at least in front of me and in front of my team and, and others, I think, to maybe show us the way and show us, you know, these are some things that you can be doing to, to, to serve my people in this way. I, uh, I, I, I take comfort in that and I take, I, I'm encouraged by that, I guess. And so I'm encouraged by the direction we're headed. I still have a long way to go. I think we've got still got a big hill to climb, but I, I really feel like we're starting to move in the right direction. Uh, what I'd really love to see is that, you know, 20 years from now, we are a thriving network with, you know, missionally minded churches, with with pastors in the pulpit or, or leadership in, in, in place, maybe not even in, in the traditional pastoral mode, but leadership in place in, in many cases that, that really, that has a heart for the Lord, that, that has good, so, solid theological grounding has a good grasp on, on the mission of the church and, and is, is orchestrating that mission daily. Um, we've got a long history of, of being a missional people. And, and I, I feel like maybe we've hit the pause button on that a little more in recent years. I don't think, again, it's from a lack of effort. It, it's just it's, it's maybe some aspects of our heritage and, and our missional fervor has, has slipped away. But I feel like, you know, if, if we can regain that and, and we've got you know, leadership in, in, in place that can help us to get there. I think we've got a bright future uh, until the Lord comes. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that's, that's your outlook. And, uh, you know, I've been very encouraged by you and by uh, the ministry of MTI. I think in a report that you gave to the executive council, because I serve on the executive council, you said there's about, what, 30 students that are involved with MTI, at least in the sphere yeah, of MTI. Or- yeah. Yeah. Our first, our first class was uh, we had about 15 start out. Um, we've, we lost a few during in the midst of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. But it looks like I, I think we're projecting right now based on on kind of where we're at in our recruitment, probably 30 to 35 by January. Uh, that that's one. Be- that's wonderful to hear. And I mean, for anyone that's aware of Advent Christian history, that's that's how Berkshire Christian College got its start. It started as kind of a glorified Bible study, maybe like 15 students. So God can do a lot with kind of small beginnings. And um, so I, I've been excited to see the growth of MTI and the way that God's using it. So the last question that we ask on the interview, um, and you're the first person actually that I'm going to be asking this to, so we're setting a precedent here, is uh, what's a book that you would recommend to our listeners uh, to read? Ah. Uh. Uh, at this point, and you know, it's a dense read, but uh, you know, in my free time, I actually have a good time reading philosophy and, and heavy theology stuff. That's what I do for fun. Um, n- now seems like an appropriate time to read Augustine's City of God. Oh, so, I, you know, that's on my reading list. I've got to, I, I've longed to read that because, you know, in my studies of ethics and society, people are referencing it all the time. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good read, it's not an easy read. Um, and it's not a read that I feel like I've got a full grasp on yet. I've been through it a couple of times. And uh, 
but it seems like it's appropriate and timely at the moment. I've also got a lot of books I wouldn't recommend if you want to look at the shelves <laughs> behind me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you just keep those for the for when you do these interviews, right? That's right. You got to look good, you know. Yeah. 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 I got to look like I've read a couple books. Oh, they're better placed than mine. Mine's are all stuffed in all kinds of odd places, not nearly as nice looking as yours. So, but I appreciate I appreciate, appreciate you coming on the program, Matt and uh, hopefully we can have you back again uh, to talk a little bit more about how the ministry is developing and uh, perhaps new developments and new thoughts and new ideas as, as we move forward as a denomination. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it, Tom. You're welcome. And uh, so everyone, take care and look forward to bringing another leading voice to you in our next episode of The Interview.